there, Skip. Now what in tarnation are you doing up there on that ladder? Oh, uh, can it, Biff? Don't be such a wet egg. Now wait just a belly aching minute, Skip. Is that a paintbrush in your hand? You bet your bottom dollar. I told me to paint this chicken coop, and it's taking forever and a day. You're all hot and no cattle, Skip. Paul's gonna be itching for a switching if he gets home from the quarry and you ain't done painting that coop. And how? Now listen here, Skip. I got a trick that'll really razz your berries. The Pretty in Paint School. The what? Pretty in Paint School. It's all up there on that internet thing they got over in Roswell. You can learn things like, how do I paint hard to reach places? Like a chicken coop. That's right, Skip. You can also learn how to paint cabinets and how to do straight cut lines. I'd have it made in the shade. But a school like this? That's gotta cost a lot of clams, no? Go for a swim, Tuna Head. There's no charge. You just have to hightail it over to prettyandpaintschool.com where hip cat Tila will teach you to paint like a pro. No matter if you were a small fry or a tadpole, everyone is welcome. So guys, gals, and all other pals, we'll see you over at prettyandpaintschool.com. You think house painting's hard, but it really ain't. Check out Pretty and Paint. Today. Instead of radio! Yeah! What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Denim Radio. This is episode 027. I'm Josh. Over there is Spicy Ty. King podcast himself. <laughs> it's going well, man. It's going well. And uh, we didn't have time to address this last time because we'd already recorded all of everything. But yeah, maybe you're wondering what these uh, little jingle you heard before we started talking. And just to confirm, yes, we have indeed sold out. We sold our souls. Not for rock and roll, but for those sweet Robert Bordens, all that cash money. So yes, <laughs> if you're wondering what was going on, yes, we've uh, we're 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 doing like a mutual partnership with some people, and the first people to get on board is the the folks over at PrettyInPaintSchool.com. So Tila and team said, you know what, you guys should do a jingle, and then we did whatever you guys just heard. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you're uh, not offended. After listening to it, and you're intrigued because I mean, you know, you you're, you you paint. You know, it's not something everyone can do. It could be daunting for a a dummy like me. So it's always good to to have somebody who knows what they're doing teach you teach you how to do it better. That's right, and it's good for all uh, us to all support each other. So we're happy to have our first sponsor. Thank you to uh, Tila and her paint Ready school in paintschool.com so check it out yeah so yeah we're we're hoping we can do that help cover uh some of our costs so we can continue uh wrangling in 
interesting guests. So, Josh, I will never recover financially from the debt that the show has incurred me <laughs> up to this point. So, yes, it is very welcome to have some help. It's true. It's true. But you know what? It's worth it. Just like our bands when we go travel for hours to play in front of the bartender. It's uh it's a labor of love and I wouldn't have it any other way. Hell yeah. But yeah. So uh we're actually for once in our lives, we're a little bit ahead of schedule in terms of these interviews we're doing, because yeah, we got stuff going on in March, so we're trying to get ahead of the curve. So I'm just trying to do the, me- the mental math in my in my head here. So this is gonna go live. We're already into February here, so that's that's neat. So uh at this point, not the Josh that you're hearing talking to, but the Josh that exists in another plane of existence has uh, completed a little jaunt with the uh, trash ambulance and lost planet airmen little uh bop around alberta so let's hope let's hope it went well <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure you if you guys are following along with uh high-end denim records uh socials trash ambulance socials lost planet airmen socials and let's go they're not coming on this tour but check them out too he's usually doing something um yeah you should be up to speed on that um Another bit of news. Um, it's probably out there and ordered at this point. A little late to be talking about it on uh on uh the podcast, but if yeah, if you're if you're interested in some free Sergio wax, the order has been placed. There's we kind of did a, a short run of them just to get some out there because we personally believe in the record, think it's awesome, and think everybody should own it. So I mean, if they sell out, we'll get more. But yeah, I think I think that's about it in terms of news what what do you guys got going on over in british Columbia? yeah not a whole lot uh just jamming with dubois and writing yeah. some music and stuff like that uh nothing really to report on just uh looking forward to having a big chat with the mighty casey lewis from belvedere and echo base studios so yeah that's, that's pretty true. much it. that's who we had on the show so yeah both of us have have worked with Casey. I mean, you didn't get the full Casey experience of going to Echo Base and hanging out and getting to uh, actually record with them. But you, you, I got the Casey it. Express. I got the drive through version of Echo Base. I I went out the side window, you know. So yes, Casey uh, mixed and mastered one of our songs called "Don't Blink Now," and uh, yeah, it was great working with him, and it was good good talking to him too true yeah so the folks at home i mean we're gonna get into all this in a couple minutes but yeah so casey drummer of belvedere he's got a pop band too actually that we didn't really get into on this particular one but yeah i'll uh it's too late now <laughs> i didn't look it up but if you look up at, if you go to echo Bay studio you can see you've got posts about about that project and then yeah when he's not touring relentlessly as belvedere is kind of known as road warriors doesn't matter that they're they're getting up there in age they just they just keep going so i mean i don't think that's changing anytime soon so if you're a a fan of the band take a look at their at their website and see they're coming to your town but yeah and then when he's not doing that he's he's doing echo base studio where he he turns uh you know muddy muddy water into uh into magic like the Trash Downloads album and and many other bands from around here that record with them. So make sure if you're not following either of those things we mentioned on socials, go do so immediately. Rectify that shit. 
But yeah, I think that's about it. Oh, I did load up the page and see. Um, in a couple of weeks, we got Upside Down Man's back in action at the Cosmic Creature Studios, which is an all-ages venue in Calgary that seems to pop up a lot on my socials. I'm, I haven't been there or nor played it at this point in my life, but yeah, check that one out. And then on February 16th, Trash Amulets is doing their almighty return to High River. Play with Tipless and What's the Plan? And then, yeah, before you know it, I guess Trash will be also playing with the caddies of, of the Mad Variety and Belvedere, which is topical, <laughs> on February 22nd. And then that's all the shows people have sent me. It's, I can't uh, put it on the page if the bands don't send them to me. So that's a little bit of shaming of the bands that are on the label. You got to send it to me so I know they exist. And then I'll happily put it on our website so people can can see it. And Ozone will put it on your Spotify for you. But yeah, let's... uh. Let's carry on, carry on like nothing even matters. What do you say? You ready? Ready to jump into this interview? Like nothing else matters. Oh, didn't go the queen way. You went the straight Metallica. I like it. Yeah, dog. Okay. Let's let's play some tunes. Um, well, you you, you introduce yours first while I load up. Sure, yeah. I'd like to hear uh, Achilles by Belvedere. My See? favorite, my personal favorite Belvedere <laughs> song. I love it. Oh, great minds think alike. I also enjoy that song. <laughs> yeah, that was on their album. The first album Casey played on, which was recorded at uh, Echo Base, but I believe they shipped it off to be mixed and mastered at The Blasting Room in Colorado somewhere. Fort Collins sounds about right. I don't know. I think that's right. And for me, this band sent me the song. I thought it was kind of a unique Unique little tune, so I'm just gonna do a quick, a quick uh, read through. So Mike and the Molotovs are a country punk band, self-described as self-described as spaghetti punk, based in Phoenix, Arizona. They have no interest in being popular, wealthy, or famous. They're so adamantly opposed to being commodified that they refuse to sell merch. I don't give a shit. Mike has repeatedly stated, "We're a band, not a brand." <laughs> Meanwhile, check out our sponsor, VidianPaintSchool.com. <laughs> We're not as punk as Mike and the Molotovs, but this song is called Red, White, and Fuck You. And yeah, it's kind of like a a little uh, combination of, uh, you know, like cowpunk and I don't know. It's all kinds of shit going on. So I don't know. Mike and the Molotovs sounds like they're making punk rock danger a danger in a small town again. So let's let's have a listen. The small town of Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona. <There laughs> Just a little, a little blip on the radar. <laughs> All right. Well, let's check out these songs and then let's hear from the man, the myth, the legend himself, Casey Lewis. Here we go.
This is Mikey Voodoo from Canada's own The Riptides, and you're listening to Denim Radio.
Hi, I'm Dominic Davi from Tsunami Bomb, and you're listening to Denim Radio. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Denim Radio. I'm Josh over there. We got Mr. Podcast himself, Mr. Ty. Hello. And of course, all the way from the sunny beaches of Calgary, we have drummer of Belvedere, owner of Echo Bay Studios, and many other things that he's going to tell us about in about five minutes. We got Mr. Casey Lewis. How's it going, buddy? Greetings and salutations. How are you guys? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Ty? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, looking forward to casting some pod with you. <laughs> now, what's going on in Calgary today? Uh, for me or in general? Oh, I can't speak easy. for in general. I've been sequestered in the studio all day. So, Can, can you spill the beans or is it a top secret project who you're working uh, on today? No, I'm working on a young punk band called The Turnarounds. Oh, okay. Bunch, bunch of young fellers. They're, uh, you know, in the 18, 19 range and uh, i've recorded them before and they're they're a lot of fun i uh always find it a little bit um exciting energizing to record a younger band you know they don't have a lot of studio experience and when they come into the studio they're excited and they're open-minded and they're interested and they're intrigued and 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 they're just still so stoked about music it reminds me of you know what it was like to be that age and playing music. haven't been beaten down by the by the music man but it, it's also <laughs> just nice to know that there are kids out there that still like heavy music but like rock music punk music metal music yeah and no, i was actually impressed like just looking around calgary there's there's a pretty good all-ages scene there right now it's i'm sure you don't get a chance to get out to much of it because you're a pretty busy guy but it just seems like on my instagram just constantly all ages shows cool to see it is definitely yeah actually i think i heard that this was an ep or something you recorded for him Months ago. Yeah, I recorded, I think, four songs for them in the late summer, August-ish. Yeah, Good. definitely pretty cool song. So, yeah, they must have liked what you did. Come back for more. <laughs> cool. Well, let's back, let's back the, the truck way up and talk sure. about Echo Basin. When exactly did you start this and like what fueled your interest in audio engineering? <laughs> It's uh, not as exciting an answer as you might surmise. Uh, so in, and this is going way back, um, like way, way, way back, over 30 years. In 1991, I started in a band called The Everyman. Um, the Everyman was around in Calgary for about 10 years and was a major proponent and, a, and sort of a major pusher in the all-ages scene. We were always trying to put on all-ages shows and you know have exciting all-ages type events well after we were into bar age. But the Everyman, while an extremely proficient band, was pretty bad at actual money stuff. The financial <laughs> stuff was sorely lacking. So we never really had any money and doing records for us was always a difficult thing. We'd have like $500 and we'd go into Sunday Sound with uh, the late and dearly departed Dave Alcock, who would run these midnight sessions in the 90s. So you'd come in at midnight and you'd record until eight in the morning or nine in the morning, whenever the regular sessions were starting. And you'd get whatever you could get done in that time. So we'd go in and we'd do seven songs in 10 hours. Bang, 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 just like lightning. We were, we were a good band, we were a tight band, so we could get away with that, at least in the musical department. But uh, I was always disappointed with how quickly we had to 
mix the songs, how quickly we had to get the sounds. And, and as a result, I never really felt satisfied with how things were sounding. And throughout the course of the time that we were putting on all these all ages shows, I was doing sound for all of the all ages shows because all of the professional engineers were charging way too much to fit into the budget of the all ages shows. So as a result, I learned sort of reluctantly about gain staging, signal path. I learned about how to correctly EQ a source. You know, all of that stuff was just stuff that sort of you sort of learn because you have to. And then, uh, and then I just sort of started collecting recording gear so that we could do our own records. It was really just so that the everyman could do records. And then I started Echo Bass in 2000 after, I don't know, a couple of recording sessions in my furnace room in my uh, crappy rental house in the late 90s. Um, my friend Mark of the Martyr Index and Cardiograms and from back in the 90s, he was in Inquisition and Mediocracy. Um, he he purchased a house in 2000 and and uh, asked me to move in with him. And it was like, you know, you can use the basement as a recording studio. So I did that. Um, I quit being a bicycle messenger in October of 2000. That was my last sort of, I guess, quote unquote, straight job. Uh, and I began recording bands as much as I could. I charged very little. I actually still do. It's kind of shocking. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and I, I really began to sort of learn the craft. Unfortunately, I was also very uh, close-minded and um, sensitive in those days. So, uh, <laughs> so it took me a little longer to, to get some of the, the skills down that I needed to. Um, yeah. So, so throughout that time, like, did you have a, a mentor you kind of leaned on or was it really just you figuring it out on the fly? Honestly, I've never been very good at institutional learning, so to speak. Um, I, I didn't take any classes and I didn't really learn from anybody. Um, my dad, when I first started doing live sound, gave me a book. It was actually, technically it was a, a manual for a for a Yamaha power amplifier that he had. And the manual was actually a really good primer on sound engineering. Like there was a lot of information in it, way more than you might think for something like that. And as a result, um, I was able to sort of learn the basics on my own, which is how I kind of learn best. I don't really learn effectively when I'm being told what to do. Maybe just a byproduct of being neurodivergent. I don't know. But it's also just like that I like to experiment. I like to make my own mistakes. Things have come a long way since like, like you say, reading through a manual. Um, I imagine did it have like diagrams of sound waves and frequencies and stuff like that? Exactly. It was a fairly comprehensive primer on sound engineering. It was it was pretty remarkable, actually. And Yamaha actually put out a, a, a massive book called uh, the Yamaha Sound Reinforcement Handbook. And part of this manual was taken from that book. So I eventually did buy the book. A lot of it was just uh, just trial and error, actually working with things and making mistakes. And then buying new stuff when you could eventually afford it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, piece that's by always piece. the thing. You're always trying to get better, but... Uh, the difficulty is that uh, is that you're never 
it, you're never really ahead of the curve, right? I've never really had enough money to have a fancy studio. It's always been a working studio, but we get the work done. You know, I've actually Ty's worked with you as well, over long distance, but I've had the pleasure of working with you before. And it's in like, you can do everything perfect in your brain, but it doesn't mean that it's always going to line up with the vision of the band too. Right. So that's like another thing that, like what you were saying earlier about the sensitivity, right? Cause you might do it where it sounds perfect to you. And then, you know, Johnny, the bass player thinks that his tone should be different and you kind of got to like, how do you deal with that? Like disconnecting yourself from, from this project. It's, you know? it's actually pretty easy. Yeah. I, I, any band that comes from my studio gets the, the basic sort of introduction, which is that I'm going to have a million suggestions over the course of the project. And in that time, you know, there'll be ideas that you like and there'll be ideas that you don't like, but you have to be free and available mm -hmm. to, to the idea that, you know, that I can respond to those things. So like they can tell me when they don't like something, they don't have to just sit quietly and, and say, okay, whatever you say, I'll tell them my reasoning. And if they want to know it, why I do a thing the way I do it, why it's important to do it that way. But, uh, um, in the end, it has to be them. It has to be their project. I can't just, uh, you know, bulldoze, their entire project, the thing that matters the most to them. Ultimately, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it, right? If I suggest something to a band, it's not because like my ego is at stake or factors into it. It has everything to do with the fact that I want them to be happy with their record. Mm -hmm. And that if I suggest something, it's because I think that it'll make their record better. So as long as they know that then, and, and trust that that's my intent, if I'm transparent about that, then usually it it results in a better record because you know in the end it isn't my record i have a hand in it i'm like a navigator right like i'm not the captain and and you know at at 19 years old that that might be might have been harder for me to accept right um you know to be open to the suggestions and everything but you know like you said you had this band come in and record with you and they've clearly sought you out because they want to work with you they're paying to work with you and it sounds like they're open to uh, benefiting from your experience, you know? Yeah. I mean, presumably, I mean, it might just be because I'm the, the closest or the <laughs> cheapest or whatever. I mean, they're all reasonable factors. Anyways. Uh, yeah. You have to, you have to assume that everybody's operating in good faith, but I find that just a little bit of dialogue can actually expedite that process can actually make a band trust you more just by being like okay well this is the situation and this is what i think and and if you take your ego out of it and the band can say okay well we don't like that idea please take that cowbell out or what <laughs> <laughs> then you can you can move you can move through that it's not going to break your heart i know with with our band when we work with you we, we always appreciate your your bluntness sometimes <laughs> you're just like if me and the bass player are playing something, you're just like, what? You just like hit pause. Like, what are you doing? Like, that's just, those notes do not make sense together. I'm like, really? And then, <laughs> and we change it. We're like, oh, okay. I guess he's right. We've just been playing it wrong for two years because we didn't pay attention. But it's sometimes it just has to be, it gets to be something that you're too close to. 
Yeah, hundred percent. You know, like it's nearsightedness versus farsightedness, right? If you can mm-hmm. picture the whole thing, then you get a better you get a better sense of how it's all going to lock together. But when you've when you've been in a loud re- rehearsal space, playing those songs over and over and over again, playing your notes the way you think that they're supposed to be, sometimes those things just escape you. It's not it's not an indictment of a band's musical ability or their their even their uh, ability as composers or songwriters. Sometimes it's just one of those things that slips through the cracks. Mm-hmm. It's kind of my job to identify those things and be like, hey, you know, that should be a G, <laughs> and it should be in time. Well, and if if you're hearing it as as sour, then probably a good chance somebody else that's going to listen to the record down the road i try to make the I mean, music as good as possible because my voice is going to ruin it so you know, <laughs> just keep the music as good as possible and then it's not quite so jarring yeah i think you're a little hard <laughs> i think you're a little hard on yourself in that uh, in that respect but i said that to you in the studio too no i think yeah. it's just like you need to know the band right like if you're working with a band that's like like an avant noise rock kind of thing then you have to you have to know what it is you're doing so like my job is to is to know as much about music as i possibly can to know about music that i don't even really listen to is is kind of key like i don't listen to dubstep recreationally but I, i know how it works i know the nuts and bolts of it because i've paid enough attention to what's happening around me to increase my vocabulary as a musician as an engineer, as a producer, the more vocabulary I have, the more easily I can communicate with the bands that I record and with my own bandmates. I mean, it, it, it makes a big difference because I mean, when I'm working in a band, I'm working from a different perspective than my bandmates, which is that of somebody who works professionally as a deconstructor of music. Mm-hmm. Like my job is to, is to rip music apart, you know, like I, I, Many years ago, I, I was talking to somebody who works in film, a digital compositor, matte artist. They did like CGI stuff. And they basically said to me that when they watch a movie, they're not like transported. They're not, you know, the story doesn't sweep them away because when they're watching it, they're watching for all of the things, all of the flaws that, oh, they did that there. That's an interesting choice. Oh, I would have done that differently. That's their job. That's what they do. And I think, and I've said this to other people who, who thought it was kind of a tragedy, but like, the price that you have to pay for becoming really knowledgeable about a thing is that some of the magic has to go away when something's not mysterious anymore. When something's a little bit more intimate or a little bit more familiar, some of that magic goes away because it's not enigmatic anymore, or it's less enigmatic. Anyways, I still have plenty to learn about music and I try every day, but, um, it's harder to suspend your disbelief and get wrapped up in it, right? Because you know how the sausage is made. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. When you, when you say that to people, they're like, oh, that's kind of tragic. Because it's like, you don't feel, like, I don't feel the same way I felt when I was 12. And I was listening to, I don't know, a bad religion song or a public enemy song, right? I don't, I don't feel the same, like ah, you know, (laughs) the energy isn't the same. It's different. I still love it and I still listen to it, but I don't feel that. I feel something different. It's, it's evolved to a different thing. And and I accept that that's the price that I've had to pay for learning my craft, for moving forward in my craft. And I still have a lot further to go, but uh, 
um but i'll i'll never stop it's good news we're working on new, on new demos <laughs> nice nice <laughs> that's awesome so what's the uh off the top of your head what's like the weirdest you talk about all this different vocabulary what's the weirdest like thing you stuck into a song that maybe traditionally wouldn't be in there like i know before you've did like super auto tune on like a punk rock record i heard it was hilarious that's, i don't know if that ever uh, saw the light of day but <laughs> that's uh yeah i i've Oh, I'm gonna. I think I signed an NDA on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I know you no. put a gong in one of my songs once. Oh, like, this needs yeah. a gong. <laughs> yeah, I, anything weird like that. I, honestly, some of the weirdest stuff I've done has been stuff that's been kind of cinematic. I mean, mm-hmm. like not even musical stuff. There was a band I recorded. Uh, I, this was a long time ago. It's probably 20 years ago. I recorded like a crust punk band, and they had a song called drink till you puke as you would expect from a crust punk oh oh my god was it our common struggle you got it oh yes i love that song i used to play shows with that band but sorry keep going keep going drink till you puke i remember that band so um yeah basically at the end of the song like the the singer made like kind of like a a vomiting noise like And I was like, well, I, th- I feel like we could push this further. So in the end, I had a pitcher of water and an SM58, and I had my head in the toilet, and I was, like, making vomiting sounds and and pouring the water into the <laughs> toilet so that it sounded like I was puking. And it, and it sounds like I'm puking. You're getting, like, the <laughs> reverb of the toilet bowl. And, like, it's it's... And it was quite graphic. And there were people who told me they were like, like, I listened to that song and, and I started to feel sick because <laughs> it sounds like somebody's actually puking. And I was like, good, good. <laughs> Movie magic right there. I should have been. I, a, I should have been a sound designer. <laughs> yes, that it was some excellent foley work. It was disgusting. I can confirm. <laughs> well, no, no actual vomit happened. Although ma- in making the sounds, I did gag a little. I did feel a little gag. <laughs> Puke posers, those guys always have been. <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I remember you telling me maybe it was that same band. You were saying they wanted kind of like you know like the Nazi like. Uh, like marching sounds and you like, oh, couldn't yeah. find it, it so you it, made it, your own it is that's it is that same band no i i just you know it's just compiling samples and then i i had a i couldn't get the exact marching sound that i wanted because i wanted that really like precise sort of lockstep fascist marching because that's what they were it was an anti-fascist song so they were trying to sort of get that feeling and i was like i cannot get i can't find the right marching I mean, this was, like I said, this was maybe 05 or something like that. And so so there wasn't as much stuff available on the internet. Mm-hmm. It was a little harder to find. YouTube was brand new, you know. So it was a little bit more difficult to find. So in the end, I took um, two sanding blocks, like just sandpaper, and went to the microphone and was like, <laughs> and I multi-tracked that. And then... And then I used particular types of like slap delay so that it sounded like like the acoustics of like a street. So like concrete reverberation, brick reverberation. 
it was it was effective i think i think it worked i haven't listened to it in a long time so maybe i'd go back and be like oh that's whack but i think in my memory it was pretty good i remember you showed it to us once when we were recording with you but then the music started playing and you're like oh i don't like what i did so i shut up <laughs> you weren't yeah. proud of your proud of Some, your actual work aside from Some, that <laughs> yeah no 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 slight on the band at all it, it, no 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 it's listening to things that i used that i did a long time ago can be difficult because because exactly what that what i was saying about about uh having the the veil lifted all the things i thought were sensible ways of going about it that in that period have been completely debunked for me and now i have a completely new set of tools at my disposal so and that's really what it is it's 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 developing tools so i like finding creative ways to solve problems like if a band says i want this kind of sound or whatever like you know let's face it most of the music that i record is heavy rock punk and metal and you're dealing with a sort of established template of of sonic interlocking right the drums fit in their place the bass fits in its place the guitar fits in its place and that's not to say that they don't sound different and they don't sound like themselves because that's something that comes from the composition and the the identity of the individual players but but for me, the the method of getting a good drum sound is one that's pretty well established. You know what I mean? It requires a lot of microphones and a lot of skill, but it's pretty well established. So like finding solutions to other types of problems, like if somebody's like, well, we have this intro and we want it to sound like, you know, like a sitar, but we don't have a sitar finding a way to make a guitar sound like a sitar by like preparing it with actual physical elements and then you know using a hollow body and putting a microphone on it and then you know by amplifying the pickup output so that you can get like distortion and you put like a reverb with an octave on it so that you get, you get this sort of like <laughs> shimmering octave unison effect you know those sorts of things are fun to me and a lot of the projects that I record don't, we don't really have the luxury or the time to do those kinds of things anyways. Like experimentation is something that requires time. If you don't have a lot of time and you have a lot to do, which is almost every session that I do, you are limited by proxy, so. But that's For okay. Sure. That's part of the job too. Speaking of uh, interesting sounds, I think it's about time to take our first musical break. So do you have time to think of something you wanted to hear? Uh, let's go with something punk since you were talking about punk. Uh, we'll go with Cigar Classic You. All right, here we go. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. So I think our listeners are going to be, uh, not that I could listen to you talk about audio engineering because I try to do it myself. I'm sure Ty does too, wherever he went. But uh, I think our listeners would be a little bit grouchy with me if I didn't at least talk a little bit about your, well, which one would you even call your day job now? Because it used to be this, but now you guys are quite busy in Belvedere these days. So, Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a... I mean, when you say day job, it it implies, you know, it implies something that pays the bills, right? <laughs> but un, unfortunately, as a as a working musician, one thing never does that. So you always kind of have to <laughs> do as many things as possible. Um, but yeah, Belvedere is super busy, um, which I love. I love being on tour. I love playing shows. Um, it's a little bit tired. Like, it's a little bit hard on the old man. I'll say that, you know. <laughs> I'm not I'm not in my 20s anymore so some of the the less convenient and less comfortable aspects of tour do kind of start to kind of wear on you and then you know there's home factors as well when you're away there are things at home that are not getting taken care of mm -hmm. so did, did you do you have a count on how many dates Belvedere or that you did on uh on the road in 2023 2023 was slower than 2022 in 2022 we did 115 shows in 21 countries or something um and i think in 2023 it was only like 85 or something it was less 80, 85 to 90 I'm, I'm not i don't have the exact number but it was definitely a little bit less in 2020 2022 because it was that was a really like yeah I'm going out of the out of the darkness of COVID, and you're like, "Let's go!" <laughs> yeah, third third of your year it. on the road playing music, right? My thirtieth? No, I said uh, it's a third of your of the oh. year on the road playing music when you're doing over a hundred dates. You know? Yeah, Almost. absolutely, absolutely. I mean, if it's possible to do it and still afford your life at home, then then yeah, I would ha I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to spend half of my time out on the road if I could. Have you considered subletting your studio while you're away? I never have. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty precious to me. And if somebody screwed up and, <laughs> you know, something went wrong, then it could be pretty. Yeah. It'd be yeah. catastrophic. I'd be ruined, basically. Yeah, it's probably not a good idea. I was just, I was just wondering. No, it's, that's something to think about for sure. If I had somebody that that knew the space well enough and that I could trust well enough, then, then maybe, yeah, maybe. Right. Josh could be in charge while you're on the road, right. <laughs> and rent it out to local bands. I, you know, I tried being uh tried to bird dog Casey a few times when I recorded with him and he's so far beyond my little bird brain that I just get lost. So I would, I would not take <laughs> on that, that adventure. <laughs> but yeah, you know, um, it wouldn't be bad though. Get a little cut while I'm out on the road. Sure. Sure. There's, I mean, there's got to be, there's got to be more effective ways to do that. Yeah. Well, let's uh, just in case some of the people listening at home are under a rock. So you aren't weren't a founding member of Belvedere, so you kind of walked into an established band coming back from, I wouldn't say the dead, but not overly busy. Correct. At least hadn't put out music in quite a while before you joined, right? Yeah, I can give you the breakdown. Uh, Belvedere yeah. started in '95. Um, I met Steve Rawls in. 93 or 94 um he was running a record label he had just started a record label in calgary called hourglass records 
and um, he wanted to sign my band, The Everyman, at the time. And you know, me being a holier and the now punk rock type, I uh, I was like, this guy, this guy didn't know anything about punk. He's he's a jock, because you know, Steve had short hair and a baseball cap, and and he played football in high school. I was super judgmental. What can I say? I was just a kid. But um, yeah, over the the next few years, uh, he started Belvedere in '95. Um, he would come to like me for all ages sound services because Mark and I basically financed the PA for our all ages promotion collective, which was a collective. It was like a nonprofit organization. Um, we financed it through the scene basically. So we, we thought it was ethical to make it available to all of the promoters in the scene if they wanted it at a, at a cheap rate. And it was, it was cheap. It was too cheap. <laughs> and, uh, but part of the whole thing was like, you know, this is the base price. And then if your show does well, then you can give us extra. And, but none of them ever did. None of the promoters no. ever did. None of them. <laughs> Steve was one of the rare few who actually ever did kick us anything extra when the show did well. So my relationship with Steve over the, over the years became friendship because, you know, he was a stand-up guy. <laughs> and uh, and then, then anytime anybody in the scene had something you know, unkind to say about Belvedere. I was like, Belvedere is the hardest working band in Calgary. And don't you forget it. Cause they would tour all the time. I mean, they would do 110 days straight in a van, North America, small town to small town, crazy, crazy, crazy touring. And, wow. uh, and I don't know any other band in Calgary that toured that much or that hard. Um, and at that point in that sort of heyday, well, hated the, the sort of early days of Belvedere, that sort of classic lineup of Belvedere then was uh, Steve and uh, Jason Clare playing bass, um, Jay Hollywood playing drums, and uh, Scott playing guitar. And then over time, they got a couple of different drummers. Um, and then Graham was their drummer from like 2001 to their breakup in 2005, six, something like that. That's when they they broke up, um, and then they all did various things. You know, Jay and Scott were in the Fallout Frequency and Colin Decker Free Fall. Uh, Steve was in this as a standoff. Graham was in this as a standoff as well. Um, but then in 2012, they got back together as Belvedere, did some tours and and things were were good. But um, like you know, Graham had a family. I mean, they all pretty much have families. Um, but at the time, Graham had, you know, two kids, a wife and a job and a bunch of things that had to keep him at home. And so he couldn't really tour as much. And so, so I, uh, I stepped in and, and, uh, and the rest is history. And to this year actually marks my 10th anniversary in Belvedere. Holy congratulations. Mazel tov. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That is really cool. I mean, of course, there's a few years that you guys weren't able to do as much as you'd like, unfortunately, but yeah, well, for lost time for sure. <laughs> we made, we we did make an album in that time, so we did something. Yeah, for sure. So you, since you've been in the band, you've put out two. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Belvedere has five full-length albums, um, and one uh, split EP with Downway. And then like a few compilation songs and stuff like that. And Somebody I think they told also... me. Oh, sorry. 
Oh, I was going to say, I think they have a demo tape from before their first album as well. I was just going to say somebody, uh, someone told me to ask you, someone told us that their every album has like the letter or sorry, the number of the album that it is. So like you guys just put out six cents before that was under the fifth. So is it, is it actually, I was trying to look at that <sighs> fast forward. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And no. Okay. So here's the story. Every Belvedere album has five words, six syllables, every single one, because no one stopped us. Five words, six syllables. There's one. Angels live in my town. Five words, six syllables. Fast forward eats the tape. Same. So they're all five words, six syllables. So that's something that we've decided to stick with because it's just cool. Mm-hmm. And it's very much like the uh, the SNF SNFU mm-hmm. seven seven exactly words per album. exactly that's it's very much like that. So it just kind of became a tradition. But what I noticed and I thought was funny, uh, Scott came up with a name Revenge of the Fifth for a song he had written a song for the album revenge of the fifth and and he called it revenge of the fifth and there were several different elements that sort of conspired to make this cool i thought it was called revenge of the fifth because it had a lot of like fifths like circle of fifth stuff in it like i thought it was it was a music geek joke typical producer he called it revenge of the fifth because he wrote it on may 5th so may the fourth be with you Revenge of the Fifth, right? It's a star for him. It was a Star Wars joke, and then Steve took it and lyrically talked, made it about the the alchemical fifth element, which is the human spirit, soul, right? So, like, if you look at old alchemical texts, you have earth, air, fire, water, but then the fifth element is the human soul, right? In 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 old magic and stuff like that. So he wrote a song that kind of centered around that concept lyrically. So there's three completely different explanations for it. But what I noticed is that I was like, well, if you put the in front of it, then it meets the it meets the requirements for the album. And since it's your fifth album, sort of, that seems kind of cool, right? That's yeah. a cool thing to do. <laughs> and then I was like, and fast forward eats the tape kind of has four in it after a fashion so then i was like when we were naming the 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 next record i was like we were in the van actually when we were talking about names and we we're like well can we put six the, the word six in it somewhere and and still have it fit the, the the scheme and i was like yeah it can be anything just something dumb like and meaningless like hindsight is the sixth sense and then everybody was like, oh, that's really good. And then everybody started like thinking about it. And I was like, it was totally, it, that one was totally off the cuff. <laughs> it actually landed. Amazing. <laughs> that one's amazing, but it's a hard acronym to get used to, to bang out, right? When you're like telling people that it is the H. Uh, it's hits. It hits. Oh, that's really hits. easy. <laughs> hits with two S's. It's... It, it might be the best. It, yeah. it might be the best acronym. Okay. I just, I just, you know what? There you go. You just and got it's a check. <laughs> boom that's amazing you got served <laughs> it happens often as if it's not him no it's no shame no shame in being beaten by the best <laughs> <laughs> well wow, that's awesome that Belvedere's back in well 10 years obviously not it's nothing new at this <laughs> point but the fact that you guys are able to travel all over the world but correct me if i'm wrong this is not the first band that you've been able to go overseas with and tour right um my previous band, The Evidence, did two European tours in in 2011. Um, 
but apart from that, no, I mean, Belvedere is really, I mean, I did a whole bunch of touring in the nineties and early two thousands, but it was all Canada and the U S Canada and the U S mm-hmm. the idea of going overseas seemed so prohibitive. The truth of the matter actually is that I, I didn't go on a plane until I was 20, 23 or 24 years old, like 2008 or something. Oh, wow. I don't know. Middle, middle 2000s. I can't remember the year. And it was but to play music. It was. Nice. But we, we were just flying to Toronto to attend Canadian Music Week with, uh, with the evidence. Actually, I don't even think we were the evidence at the time. I think we were still the failure, which means it would have been 2005, 2006. Anyways, the point is, is that like, you know, I grew up somewhat poor and we didn't go anywhere. My family never went anywhere. I think the furthest I ever went was like Drumheller. I didn't even see the ocean until I was 18 years old. So I've really made up for last time being in Belvedere because I've been all over the world. I think I've played in 31 countries so far. Soon to be 32. Amazing. Oh, because of music. Wow. One of, one of my questions was going to be because when you went over there, I don't know what, what the evidence's following was in Europe. But None. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, so a very different experience going where people actually know your songs That's true. so like was it different i guess you probably would have known with the internet and stuff it wasn't like you're walking into something like completely unaware that well it's also just knowing like yeah i mean the extent of it is wide and varied it's just like belvedere can do headlining shows in a lot of different countries and do all right like better than i would have imagined and then we can play festivals to many thousands of people. It's an interesting thing always. And I think there are lots of bands that could probably attest to this. Um, to play a festival for 20, 25,000 people one night, and then the next night play a club show. It's, it's a strange thing. And I actually like it. I think it's, you know, I remember specifically we played, uh, it, was, <laughs> it was the second show of the new members of Belvedere, Ryan and Dan. Their second show was Altavoz Festival in Medellin, Colombia, and we played to over 30,000 people. It was crazy. It was huge. Their second show. Dan was so excited. He was like, oh, that was great. That was one of the best shows I've ever played. And I'm like, yeah, you played it with your pickup in the wrong position the entire time. <laughs> he, had his, he, had his, he had his pickup in the wrong position. He was oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. Anyways, but it was and it you was, clocked it was, that from the drums. Uh, no, I clocked it when I watched the video later. Okay, because there was a video of it, and I was like, the guitar sounds really, really muddy. I couldn't hear the guitar from the drum position. Are you kidding? A fest- <laughs> at festivals at that point, you're lucky if you can hear anything at all. You have a 15 minute changeover and no time to get monitors, so you know, you play it as it lays. But that's that's why we now travel with our own, our own in ear rig, a complete split and everything and i have it like it's me and ryan devised it so that it could be set up and torn down in five minutes in any position no matter what kind of show we're playing so it was uh it's been a bit of a game changer for us but um the point that i was trying to make is that we played that show it was their second show with the band and then the next show was in bogota colombia in a club where they packed 350 people in a room with 200 cap no fire exits no ventilation no fans no nothing so everybody was just like dying and i I don't know if you know this but bogota 
is uh, like 10,000 feet above sea level. It's like twice as high as Calgary is, twice as high as Banff is actually. Calgary's next only 4,000. But yeah, so the elevation's really, really high and the air is exceedingly thin. So it's already hard enough to play a headlining set there, but to do it when you're in a room that has no ventilation, it's quite a, quite a feat, quite a challenge. That's wild, but you made it through, obviously. It's quite yeah, the second I mean, show for the other guys. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, and, and they, they really got that sense because it, it's interesting because my, like, my first Belvedere shows were in Japan. I flew to Japan to, to fill in uh, in 2014. And then my next show with them was uh, uh, Rockfest in Montebello, Quebec, which was a, an amazing festival. And, uh, and then the show after that was, you know, at the Rock Pile in Mississauga, you know, two-nighter at the Rock Pile. And it's like, I like, I kind of like those, those hills and valleys. I think it, it keeps you on your toes. I was going to say it keeps you humble, but like, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It keeps you on your toes. It helps to make you an adaptable professional because no matter what the circumstance is, no matter where you have to play, if you can get up and turn it out and do the best show possible and not bitch and not complain and not gripe and just do it, there's something about that that makes you tighter as a band. I don't mean necessarily just tighter musically or tighter in terms of performance or even tighter in terms of your show, but tighter as people. If you can if you can maintain that positivity and that sense of humor and that sort of like, I don't know, resolution through it all, then anything's possible. Yeah. And with how often you guys are, you guys play and all the shows you accept, like they're not all going to be going to run smoothly. It's just no. mathematically impossible. So yeah, like you said, you got to be able to just, you know, adapt and make it work or you're not you're not cut out for it and which a lot of us admittedly probably aren't <laughs> like I've, I've seen people throw tantrums and just little local bands right because shit's not perfect so <laughs> i don't think they would handle that <laughs> yeah but i mean i you have to ask yourself and i'm i mean i get it because there are things that happen that frustrate me too but it's important to ask who it serves does it serve you well, no, because it gives you a bad reputation. Everybody who's in the venue is going to see that you're in a bad mood. If you bring it on stage, then the audience is going to see that you're in a bad mood and that you don't care enough to bring them a show or that you're not doing the job of actually lifting people's spirits in one way or another. Like punk rock is allowed to be angry. Every music's allowed to be emotional to some extent. You're allowed to feel the things you're feeling. But if all you're bringing onto the stage is like bitterness and like disappointment and disillusionment, then then people will see that. And the other bands you're playing with it will see it. The sound technicians will see it. And it's just a really great way to, to, to make things worse for yourself somewhere down the road. It's an investment in future misery. <laughs> and you have to ask yourself who it serves. Does it, does it serve you? No, it doesn't. Does it serve the band that you're, that you're pissed off at and making? I mean, there are legitimate grievances that you, you will have. And there are things that you will have to address, obviously, with other bands that you're touring with, with you know, venues that you're playing with, promoters that are putting on your shows, you will have, you will have times where you're at odds with people. But there's a professional way to handle it, a direct way to handle it that doesn't cycle around your ego. Because the more of that you bring into it, the more likely that it is to sort of turn into a conflagration that's far beyond your control. And I've seen it happen hundreds of times at shows where an, a disagreement 
turns into a fight, turns into a brawl. I've seen that. And it's horrible. Venues get lost. Equipment gets broken. People get hurt. So. Oh, shit. That's kind of, that's kind of, I, I agree with all that. And like, like you're saying, it starts at the stage, right? Whatever you're projecting from there. And uh, yeah, you can have an impact on how that night goes with your attitude and everything. So yeah, it's crazy to think about. I, th- I, yeah, I think it just happens a lot with people who overestimate the importance of what it is they do. Like we're, we're musicians. It's not that noble a pursuit, you know, we're not, we're not saving lives. We're not curing diseases. We're not, we're just trying to help people have a good time one night at a time. And, you know, I've had people come to me and say, you know, your music saved my life. That's, that's an incredible thing to hear, but it never makes me overestimate my own importance. I don't feel better than the people I play for. I don't feel better than anybody. In fact, a lot of times I feel worse than most people. That's a a testament to uh, somebody like you that has gotten so much in their life from music and um, had so much quote unquote success is that that's your attitude is that, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're always trying to be better and you're not overestimating your market value. Like some of these people you see that are at, you know, that, uh, a lot lower level. I don't know. I think you guys know what I mean. Absolutely. <laughs> it's it's a simple calculus, you know? What is a performer without their audience? What are they? Mm-hmm. You don't right. have to, you don't have to be a genius to know this. You know? <laughs> you can sit in your basement and play music for the rest of your life and if you enjoy it then that's a wonderful thing, but a, a performer is is person who is missing something without that exchange of energy on some level so there's and i've often said this and people get kind of sensitive about it but i've often said that performers we're kind of like we're missing something we're missing an essential piece somewhere i don't know exactly how or what it is but but a regular person doesn't feel that compulsion to go up on a stage and be like, look at me, look at me, look at what I can do, you know, like, so there's something in us that like fundamentally needs that validation, that approval, that sense of connection with people sometimes. Sometimes that's all it is, it's just about an exchange of energy, a person that feels that they have trouble communicating in their everyday life. But when they get on stage, they feel like they can. That's what it was for me when I was a kid. There was a lot of stuff that I didn't really get. I didn't understand when I was a kid, how people are, how they behave how they say what they don't mean as an autistic kid it was it was weird you have to kind of find a way to to say what you what you you're feeling and music was that for me so well said man well uh let's take another quick musical break on that note perfect segue into well i guess anything would have been a good segue but we're, we're rolling with <laughs> what do you want to hear oh okay well now i'm on the spot um well, we're talking about music and what it means to me and how it speaks and communicates to people. So unsurprisingly, I'm going to pick a Rush song. The song is Subdivisions. This song spoke to me when I was a kid about being different, not fitting in. And ultimately for me, finding music was what allowed me to sort of break free of that. So there you go. All right. This is, this is a denim radio first. 
We're going to play some Rush. Check it out. <laughs>
and we're back. So yes, that's definitely a first. Not that we're anti-rush or anything. It's just no one's ever. You better not. You better. You better not be. Red <laughs> Deer's, Red Deer's not, not far enough away that you're safe from me. That's <laughs> see the background. You know what's going on. Twenty-one twelve. I see I it. Did. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, yeah. Um, cool. Well, we're gonna start slowly wrapping this up, wind it up, so you can go on with your life. But uh, we got a little section of the show we like to do. What is this? What is this part called, Ty? The pressure. Toy. Okay. All right, so the name of the game is The Pressure Cooker. So basically, I'm going to ask you 10 questions, rapid-fire style, and you're just supposed to answer it without overthinking it. Mm. Spit out the first thing that comes to your mind. So uh, if you're ready, let's do it. That's, uh, that's a tough one. I overthink everything. That's why. I, that's <laughs> how I do what I do. <laughs> well, this should be interesting then. All righty. All righty. So RoboCop or Starship Troopers? RoboCop. What's the most underrated Rush song? God, uh, time stands still. Um, what's your least favorite Rush song? Taishan. All right, Iron Maiden or Black Sabbath? <sighs> Iron Maiden. <laughs> um, where's the best place to eat in Calgary? Uh... All my favorite restaurants are now closed, so it's really difficult. <laughs> um, oh, God, why are they all closed? I'm thinking of a restaurant. Restaurant closed. Restaurants closed. Uh, Lena's Italian Market. Pressure cooker. Yeah. <laughs> where? Another victim. Uh, where is the furthest east you've ever been from your house right now? Uh, Japan. Um, Dr. Pepper or 7-Up? Dr. Pepper. Um, what's the longest tour you've ever done? Ease wise, mm, ten weeks. What was the last book you've read? Uh, Getty Lee's My F in Life. All right, and the most important question—the question everybody's dying to know—which song is better, the Imperial March or the Moss Eisley Cantina song? <laughs> I'm gonna go with Moss Eisley because I don't think it's expected. And that concludes another rendition of the pressure cooker. And you know what's funny? Do you know what that kind of music was initially called in like the expanded universe? Jizz. Jizz. Seriously, it was called Jizz. <laughs> Figrin, yes. that that band, the band in the cantina is called Figrin Dan's Jizz Whalen Band. Well, I hope that Josh puts some <laughs> jizz in behind the pressure cooker segment while you're answering questions because I think it would well, be the perfect music genre. You got you guys' hands are below your camera, so I don't know what's going on there. You could be making jizz <laughs> right now. <laughs> There's an accordion I over think, there. I got an accordion here too. Squeeze I'm box. just playing my accordion over here. Playing the squeeze box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think I read, I don't know if it's true, that they like renamed it. So Whoa, Hollywood! Steal something else from us. Stealing all the jizz from us. Maybe. I mean, they, they got they got rid of the excellent music sequence in the first Return of the Jedi, the original Return of the Jedi, oh. and replaced it with that weird, you know, CGI thing. Character guy. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. They, they, I, I thought that first piece was amazing. It's like funky and weird. Awesome.
My, my favorite Star, Star Wars song goes like this. It's my favorite good. Star Wars song. Are you trolling? We're, yeah, he is trolling. We're just going to leave it. <laughs> he, he, he kind of almost hit, though, because he was just a little out of key. So he hit on the... So you almost got that. It's a mash. It's a mush in there, man. You know. Yeah. For a, fu- a fun Wars, fact, when, when we when we were recording the trash ambulance record, we did a little, we did a little like a uh, paradiddle like snare hit at the start, and we used to always go just as a joke. And Casey heard us do it, and he he made us put it on the album. <laughs> He's like, "You guys are doing that." What? <laughs> True. I think he even harmonizes. Like, do you listen to the start of a song, Melting Pot? He goes, "It's a homage to the what is it? The duel of the fates." Yeah. Obi Wan, Obi Wan, Obi Wan versus Anakin. Obi Wan. No, 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 no. It's uh, Obi Wan and Qui Gon versus uh, Darth oh. Maul. Okay, I stand corrected. You sit corrected. Yeah. <laughs> I sit corrected. <laughs> My hands are. You guys can see. Yeah. No jizz. Don't stop clapping. <laughs> Clap your hands, man. Like I used to live in this party house, and uh, there was all sorts of people around there. So whenever I went to the bathroom, I'd make everybody clap their hands, so I knew they weren't stealing anything when I was in there. <laughs> hey, keep clapping, man. Keep fucking. I just wanted applause while you're taking the dump. Oh yeah. <laughs> Don't die. But what did I say right, about okay. performers earlier? <laughs> We all need that validation. You show that turd who's boss, bud. Austin Powers. Real curtain jerker. <laughs> all right, let's just take control. Of Wait, wasn't Tyler going to ask me a couple weird questions? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I just, oh, just kicking it back oh, over. Sure, sure. I got a couple questions. Quick one to get out of the way. We talked about our common struggle. Uh, I had another favorite band from Calgary from, I don't know, maybe early 2000s called the Home Wreckers. Um, you didn't happen to record the home records, did you, Casey? Or did you got did y'all ever play shows with the home records? Uh the name actually rings a bell. Okay, so here's the thing. And I know this is gonna sound kind of terrible, but at this point, I've done over fifteen hundred individual recording sessions. And some of them were just like a single weekend. Yes. So they get kind of lost in my mind. I think I did record the home records, but I don't know for sure. I seem okay. to recall seeing it on a spindle when I was moving stuff. So I think okay. it was, I think so, maybe. Such a good band, and it's so hard to find their record. Um, it's got such hits as Crawl Space Mortuary. Uh, I know some some of my friends have it. I've, I'm trying to track a copy down, but okay. I, here, here's your next question, Casey. You okay. told us about the Everyman in 1991, I believe, but... When did you make your very first punk rock recording? Um, if it was not the Everyman, like your very first punk rock recording, and if uh, what was the band, the band name, the song title, and what did you record it on? Okay, um, so my first band was the Everyman, but before we were called the Everyman, we had a we had a name. Famous Last Words for a while was our name for like a few months, maybe six months. I wouldn't, we were a punk rock band, but also not. And that kind of held throughout the entirety of the Everyman's career. Like we were a punk rock, punk rock band, but we were also a metal band. We were also a progressive band, but we were also a ska band at points or a pop band at other points. Like we were one of those, like it was our generation that sort of like were influenced 
a lot by bands like Fishbone and like Living Color and Bad Brains and like, you know, bands that were like crossover bands that were not afraid to explore any genre at any time. So that's what the Everman were about. So, I mean, yeah, I would say, I guess at our core, we were a punk rock band, but I guess that counts. I guess we count. So yes, I would say that the first recording that I, I ever made was with the Everyman. And how old do you reckon you were when you made that? Uh, 18. 18. Maybe. And what did, and uh, I guess I'd only been playing already... drums for about a year and a half, maybe right. two years. And that was in the studio in the shared space that, that uh, your friend invited you to? Oh, no, no. That, that was much later. Okay. That, I, I, that was in 2000. I was yeah. just wondering what did like you record later. your first ever recording that you made, like? Are we talking uh, a boombox or was it a the, real, the, real, the everyman before we were called the everyman we actually did used to make tapes of our rehearsals on a like just on a ghetto blaster and we would like wrap right. it in a blanket and put it behind a pot plant so that it sounded relatively good i still got all those cassettes somewhere like of us and mostly at that point it was just us playing covers for the most part we were playing stuff to get good we were playing stuff that challenged us so there was a lot of like you know rush metallica megadeth pantera you know like did you guys gig clubs did you gig clubs doing covers and everything like that no we didn't start playing until we actually had our own songs um, which was a few months later we started writing songs and our first actual like recording that we actually like recorded sort of semi-properly uh was on a four track machine that my dad had nice that recorded straight to tape or yeah it was a cassette four track not a not a reel-to-reel four track well how far things have come in such a short amount of time this kind of leads into my <laughs> 33 next question. years the next yes. question though was it the everyman that had the album called pal right in the ding correct that was our first release yeah. <laughs> oh that this needed to be said because i knew ty would appreciate did you it. just nardwire him <laughs> like you came out with that album from way back in the day john <laughs> how could i forget it it was released at the time, it was released in 94 uh it was recorded on an eight track cassette machine no it was recorded on eight ats eight ats that was a thing in the 90s for a while where you would record uh, digital audio you could record eight tracks of digital audio on a vhs tape wow and oh, wow. uh and you could link them together so you could use multiple of these things to to record more and more tracks but they they didn't sound so like one that. was it like one tape per, per track that's that's amazing i've got to no it was okay. eight, eight tracks per tape for eight so tracks per tape. if you had if you had four machines then you would have you know 64 track or sorry 32 tracks wow it used to be available in some archive. You you told us you're like go go to this website, and we were able to download the album. The, and there is a place called there, there is a place called the Calgary Cassette Preservation Society, and you can find all the great Calgary stuff from you know yesteryear. All the bands, some amazing stuff on there for sure. That record's not one of the amazing things. I would recommend I would <laughs> recommend taking a pass on it just because. But it's, but it's there. In fact, there are other Everyman things on there that would be. That's better. what I'm looking for. That's what like, I want to hear. Like sit on it or uh, EIEOI, the split with Inquisition, or uh, or Brian went down to Reno. Those are okay. Nice. The power right in the dink doesn't sound all that good, and the songs are a little <laughs> too long. I think. I just got one more uh, producer gear related question, and then yep. one more question. So two more questions. Uh, so. <laughs> Let's say uh, a guy like me, I've got my, 
I've got my audio interface and I've got my microphone. What's what's one piece of outboard gear that you would recommend to a multi-instrumentalist kind of recording person looking to expand their in-the-box home studio with maybe one piece of outboard gear? That really depends on what you're intending to record. I know. Um, if you have a if you have a decent microphone, then you can do pretty much anything. Um, but that's so pretty like, much you, know, you might not need anything else, right? Yeah, if you're recording um, a lot of like electric guitar or ele mm -hmm. like electronic instruments, then sometimes it's sometimes it's good to have like some sort of outboard amp modeler or like a solution so you can dial up tones really quickly. Okay. before you're recording them. Because, I mean, there's a lot of great plugins out there that do the same thing, obviously, and then you can make choices about what you're recording. But I find when I want to demo something, I don't want to monkey around with a tone in the computer. I just want to plug into something that has a tone that I can use to sketch the idea out. And gotcha. I'll, record, I'll record a DI and print it at the same time. So I'll, I'll take a direct output, and then I can, I can mess with the tone later if I want to in the computer, but then I'll also have this you know, relatively, you know, forward scratch track that I can just sort of like instantly get. That's a useful thing if you're a guitar player, certainly. Um, okay. If you're planning on doing more um, composition stuff, a MIDI controller, like a, a MIDI a MIDI controller, just like a generic MIDI controller so that you yeah. can control your, uh, your virtual instruments in your DAW. True. That'll open things up for you because you can play lots of different right. things on it and you can take your time to play that like you can compose a baseline and then use, you know, any number of plugins that actually represent like replicate an electric bass relatively if effectively, you know, that, so you can get any, get any sound out of it that you want, but that depends if you're, if you're planning on being a composer or, you know, if you're just like a guitar player, songwriter, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I knew you were going to say that because, you know, and say there's so many things. What do you want to track drums? What do you want to record guitars? That's yeah. I, I, would I say, appreciate the answer. I would say if you're recording, if you're planning on recording a drum kit in your home studio, then yeah, just don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> buy, 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 buy an electronic drum kit so that you can, Got you it. can record ideas easily. And then maybe a couple of good virtual instrument drum kits like Easy Drummer or something like that so that you can call up better sounds to play on your electronic drum kit. But um, in the that end, that is really great too. There's really no substitute for a, an acoustic drum kit in a good room with microphones. There just isn't, not yet. I mean, they're close. They've gotten really close. Like things like Easy Drummer are really, really great and really, really close. But to me, they don't sound the same. Not yet. I appreciate that. Okay, I mean, you know, we might have lost a few people with that heavy gear kind of techie question, but I got a question now that I think that's going to really win everybody back on this podcast. Uh, it's about the nature of existence. Uh, which of the following do you think is the most likely explanation for the absurdity of life on Earth as we know it? Could it be A, intelligent design by a higher power, benevolent or otherwise? B, Strictly favorable conditions for evolution slash Darwinism, or C, existence as we know it is a computer si simulation. Huh. 
That's all you got for me. Just Those nice, three nice options. Softball question. There's three <laughs> options. That's all you well, got. You can and actually or, or D and or other. <laughs> if if you want me to be very sophistic about it, your question said, "Could it be?" Not "Is it?" It was "Could it be?" And the answer is. <laughs> E, all of the above. Even though you only had C there, there's a D that's a missing option. That's just a hidden option. That's where the real answer is. But all of the all of the above is the answer. Could it be? Yes, it could be. Is it? I don't know. Ultimately, Fair. I think that the I think that the nature of existence is mired at least cert, to some extent in in sheer chaos, uh, random happenstance, and. Uh, it's maybe foolish to even uh, even ponder it. In but times that's like but, these. but that's not all of it. You know what I mean? There's more yep. to it than that. Every time you think you have the answer, there's something waiting around the corner to prove to you that you don't. So it's very true. So, so do you feel like are you one of those people who thinks everything happens for a reason, no. or do you feel like you got to go out and get it? Because I'm. You just me you mentioned earlier. You know, you grew up with not a lot of money, and you've been able to travel the world because of. The hard work you put into your craft so i think that that's an argument for the fact that you got to go get what you want out of life i feel the same way personally well no i mean people talk a lot about like you know fate versus uh intention or they talk about you know nature versus nurture like they're somehow exclusively you know mutual concepts they're not they're they're it can be a mix part, of all they're of part them. of the, the whole i mean you know like sure you can go out and get it but what if you know what if you're paraplegic or quadriplegic you know hard to be a mm -hmm. drummer when you're quadriplegic that might not be your fault that might not have had anything to do with you so it's not just about how hard you work what about if you're born in a country where you're too poor to eat let alone you know buy musical instruments you know there's there's circumstances that are beyond people's control and there are circumstances that are that are within people's control. I think a, a lot of people want to talk about how things are not their fault, but everything's Ty's fault, by the way. Okay, okay. <laughs> duly, duly noted. This is a heavy answer. I'm sorry. You asked me a question. Um, keep I going. Think, keep going. I think that ultimately it's both. It's things do happen for a reason they're just dumb reasons a lot of the time you know what i mean to say everything happens for a reason it's like yeah everything happens for a reason you know when i you know spill coffee on myself it happens for a reason it happens because i wasn't paying attention and you know and i tilted the coffee too much or somebody ran into me you know like it happened for a reason it's just those reasons aren't always mandated by some higher power I mean, think about the amount of living cells that are on our planet alone, just our planet, not any that's number what I'm of the countless that's what trillions I'm of other planets. Yeah. And as far as we can see with like the James Webb Space Telescope and everything like that, we can't see another planet that has favorable conditions enough for us to fester like a little infection like we have on this planet. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't it, it doesn't it feel odd that we're kind of like the only ones we can see in this whole area. That's weird. <laughs> i'll let josh just cut me off whenever but that's yeah that's why i brought it up i thought casey would have something to say we're getting into the fermi paradox keep going, here. Keep going. i have more to say on it but i'm not going to because i don't want your podcast to be a million years long of somebody you know with philosophy 101 level knowledge talking about uh, the nature of the universe 
I have I have feelings, but I have more questions than feelings. Um, I also don't need them answered in a lot of cases because I know what's important to me and I know what I can do with my time. You know, and while I like to spend time thinking about things that are ephemeral or more complicated, convoluted, I do think that it's something that you can do so much of that you forget where you are. Well, I'm sure Josh has a fart joke loaded up. Why don't you just let that go? <laughs> Maybe he has a fart loaded up. <laughs> rip, rip it right into here's a, here's a Here's a funny one. It involves Casey. We uh, we may or may not have been a little gassy last time we recorded with them, and then he was disgusted <laughs> with us. And he looks back at us like they should call you trashed flatulence. Oh. <laughs> and he turned around and went back to work. <laughs> oh, I knew oh, it! Yeah. I knew it! That's pretty it. Nail on the head. I don't know if he actually. Do you were, but... do you have like a surcharge like when a like when a server serves a large table and does like a gratuity for a large group? Do you have like a band farted in my studio charge? <laughs> That's a really good idea. I'm gonna float. Yeah, I'm gonna to, float that. To bring no some Febreze and spray down his couch once we're done. Oh, I I, I saw that couch regularly, <laughs> regularly, it's absolutely. <laughs> but you know, like at least you didn't spill a milkshake on it. Had that happen before? An entire strawberry milkshake just upended. I'm not oh, gonna tell you God. who, because I'm a professional. But uh, but damn, just had a big staying on my couch for years until i could get a new couch because you know you have to prioritize when you have a studio it's like okay am i going to get new speakers because i need new speakers or am i going to get a new microphone because i need a new microphone or am i going to fix my computer or my furnace couches they they get pretty low down the priority scale you know what i mean 100 percent. so i should, I should probably right, well, just put plastic on it like some somebody's grandma or something <laughs> That would be amazing when like nothing commands respect. Like when you roll up into the studio as you know, maybe a 19 year old kid, maybe a 40 year old kid, you roll up and there's plastic on the, the Chesterfields and what have you. That's how, uh, you I'm know, just thinking the acoustics when you rip a fart on that. Yeah. Plastic, it's amazing. It's it's be... amazing. <laughs> maybe we but could, at least uh, it if... won't it permeate, it won't permeate the, the cushions. If our common struggle ever gets back together, maybe, maybe you can get some wicked farts for one of their, next songs eat beans these guys are getting a lot of a lot of shout outs today oh my god i used to love he, that album. He, i think i have their cd somewhere i didn't even I, I want to go on record as saying i didn't even mention the band because i don't know if they want to be mentioned he was the one who called out well, the band he's the one who mentioned it i've, I don't, I've talked to lisa the singer i've talked to the singer lisa in in the last uh five six years and talked oh, about cool. the band so yeah she's cool. doing okay she's uh she's doing metal stuff now She's a tattoo artist too, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So good to know. Shout out, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. We're gonna start wrapping this up, but uh I got one last question okay. for you since we're talking about you know b- big things in the world. Um when all said and done, when you look back at your legacy, I know you probably rolled your eyes when I said that, but you do have one, whether you'll admit it or not. Would you rather be remembered as Casey the drummer, Casey the producer, or something else entirely if you had to choose of course oh boy that's a tough one again <laughs> well casey there's something else that's 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 big there's something else <laughs> well obviously you're gonna be remembered as a friend and as, family member uh, i want to be remembered as casey the hero who brought world peace who united the human right no like that's you know <laughs> the truth is is that i'm a drummer like that's all 
that's that's really what your passion um i'm i'm a musician at my fundament being a recording engineer is great that's part of what i do i love helping other people realize their musical vision but i mean i'm i'm a player first and foremost that's what i love to do first and foremost and uh if i was independently wealthy and i had all the money in the world that's the thing that I would still do. I, I mean, I would still record bands, but they would be fewer. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't record <laughs> as many because yeah. I'd be out playing more. I'd be on the road more as much as I could. So, so that's your, uh, yeah. your happy place is up on that stage. You bet. Cool, man. Well, uh, one last question. Like you mentioned playing in front of these massive audiences. Are you the type of guy that gets a little bit of stage fright or are you just so locked into your, what you're doing? It doesn't even. Honestly, no, I don't. And I've never, I've never really got stage fright. You know, where I get the fright is when I'm off the stage. <laughs> Not like now or Human when interaction, just like when you're in a, when you're in a place with like a lot of people Crowd, and, yeah. and you have to interact with a lot of people, that's a little bit more difficult for me. Um, I, I will do it happily because, um, because I think it's important. Like I said, I don't, I don't consider myself being any better than any of the people that I, that I'm around, that I play for, that I play with, that I, that are helping to put on the show. Like I, I, I like being around them, but as an introvert, it's the thing that kind of, that I have to recover from. So afterwards I need some like serious alone time to sort of like recharge my batteries. Um, and uh, that's a real thing. I get that too. Like, obviously I'm don't play shows in for 30,000, but the being around that many people, it's like all of a sudden I'm like, why am I so like wiped? And it's like, Oh, I'm introverted. And you're I need just go chill out by myself. You're introverted. Like after with my band, like we do five shows and after five nights in a row, we're kind of getting sick of each other. You know, <laughs> the jabs are going and they're getting a little bit more real and we're happy to go home. Like at what point touring and playing that many shows in a row, does it, become less about the music and more just about getting along with your friends and your band and like surviving traveling these great distances and playing shows i don't find that part of it hard because i've learned to manage it like i you know will you know and my band knows this too i will leave and go on a walk for four hours if i if i have the time i'll just walk i'll walk 15 kilometers you know what i mean and back because i need time by myself i need time to decompress i need time to see the places where we are whatever it is when i'm by myself i i can i can do that and my band understands that and uh i think it's just about knowing what, what it is that you need and how to get it within the confines of what you're doing because obviously you can't just go away for an extended period of time you're required to be in places at certain times so that's, that's a situation most of us will never have to be in but good to know that that's a good way to manage it if but, we ever but then the to. other but then the other part of it is just communicating like i mean these people are your are your coworkers, sure but they're also your friends so it's important to communicate things some of the things that it's important to communicate are how good a job they did how you appreciate them, what they're good at, like all of those things. So I've, I've been in bands for a long time. And when we were teenagers in bands or whatever in the 90s, we were really good at tearing each other down, but not really good at lifting each other up. 
Like there was a lot of that stuff. And, and I, and that sort of toxicity, that inability to just say, Hey man, I appreciate you're, you're a great player. You're a good bandmate, you know, or the hard work that you did is really appreciated. Like that stuff can go a long way. People want to know that they have, that they have value to the people around them. And I think that's probably a good lesson for life. And it's one that took me maybe a little too long to learn. So, so if you're having trouble with your bandmates, you know, try just throwing out a compliment. Like if you're, if you're having trouble being in that environment, just be like, you know, you, you played really well last night, dude, like good job. Or like you booked that show or your drive or that shift you drove, you drove eight hours. It's fucking amazing, man. Thank you. You know, that's a great outlook and I appreciate that advice. And what do you think? I just want to throw this out there as a nickname showtime, Steve, maybe you throw it at him. Maybe it sticks. Maybe it doesn't, but come on showtime, Steve. Steve has a, Steve has a bunch of different nicknames. Um, you know, if he drinks the right thing at the right time, he becomes Esteban Fiesta. <laughs> um, he, you know, sometimes uh, he's, uh, you know, sometimes he is Stevie Show. You know, nice. He gets, he gets, he gets nicknames. <laughs> I don't think I have any nicknames. Not one. The Equalizer. I'm throwing it out there. <laughs> i'm throwing it out there right that's now good. that's good it works on a number of levels because i was because i kill people with extreme prejudice and also because i turn knobs <laughs> what did we what did we we interviewed a band from vancouver what the hell was that guy's name the silo that like kept talking about the drummer yeah. Like just, yeah the silo and they just kept calling him the silo i'm like that's fucking a weird name for anybody what is he but... full of grain like maybe he's just big and round I don't know. Well, I don't know who you're talking about. So I'm not, I'm not <laughs> casting aspersions or making any judgments. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> it's from the band. What are they? Audio, audio grand. There you go. So you might like them. They're like new wavy. Right, cool. Yeah. And the, probably but, around your age. The, the one guy plays in night court too, a Vancouver band. Yeah. Cool. I'd prefer not to be called the silo, whatever nickname. I can come up with. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we'll work on it. Okay. Next time we have you back on, we'll have a new deal. For you. <laughs> all right buddy well we're gonna let you go have your supper so uh any last things you want to shout out before we let you go i can't think of it have any um go to, go to belvedere.com and see where you guys are going to be yeah see if you're coming to your town. a lot of a lot of great bands releasing new music in the next little while the galacticas have their new album release on february 2nd i believe here in calgary and I believe they're doing accompanying dates in Red Deer and Edmonton. So if you're so inclined, you mm-hmm. like cool music, then go check didn't, them out. Didn't know they're coming to Red Deer. I don't know uh, that they are for sure. I think they are. They shout out Anthony Janecki. I think I stayed at your house once a long time ago. Um, support local music. All y'all. And if you're American and uh, are listening to this, check out Belvedere's page because they might be coming to your town very soon. Quite possible. I guess I was gonna say your glorious return, but you guys went last year, right, to America? We did, but we went. Time we England. went to the east, and this time North we're going east. to the west. So it's a all right. It's a whole new ball game. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys just kill it on your trip. I'm sure you will. Thank you. And we'll be we'll all be following along. But yeah, till next time, man. We really appreciate you coming on. Take care. Good talking to you, Casey. All right. Enjoy your enjoy your supper. We'll do. <laughs> all right. Have a good one, buddy.
Hey y'all, this is Casey Lewis, drummer from Belvedere and proprietor of Echo Bass Studio, and you're listening to Denim Radio. And that's going to be a wrap. So another episode of Denim Radio is in the books. And my computer didn't die, so that's a win. Is That's uh, a W, baby. Another W old, in the books. Big old dubski. It's the Super Bowl of podcasting is when your computer doesn't die. Dude, haters, <laughs> haters don't want to see us winning, but we just can't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Yes, thank you very much, Casey, for, for hopping on the call. He's uh, he's accomplished a lot in, in his uh, life on this earth, and yeah, he he tried to pick his brain a bit about the, <laughs> the pondering the mysteries of the universe, and he, he didn't. How'd that, how'd that go? Eh? <laughs> he was holding back. He's like, I I could talk about this, but, but yeah, yeah, it's always interesting because it's yeah, like you said, they've really been pounding the pavement with the band lately, and what did he say? 32 countries in a year, 115 shows or something like, fuck. I was pretty proud of myself for, for doing 30 shows, which I guess I should be. It's not, it's not a competition, but uh, no, if 30 feels like a number that you're proud of. Yeah. Good job. That's, it's a lot of hard work that goes into 30 shows, right? Especially when some of them are out of the country and all that. So yeah, for sure. And, uh, obviously he mentions that Belvedere laid the they did the hard work in their twenties, right? Touring for like three, four months at a time. And you know, so people all around the world know who they are because of that. I didn't do that with trash. So <laughs> I'll take what I can get and be proud of it. Cause you know what? You can spend your whole life fucking chasing, you know, chasing the dragon, trying to be as good as someone else, but no need to compare, man. You know, for every, uh, million people that love the Beatles, there's those, hundred fucking cross-armed punks sitting at the back of the venue fucking snarling about how they're terrible right so just fucking have fun with it and like oh i i much prefer the yard birds <laughs> yeah exactly we're, we're just full of the bad accents too on this episode so i hope you guys enjoyed the commercial once again shout out to pretty and pain school.com um i'm gonna try not to be too obnoxious with the ads <laughs> we just we want to be able to do this and we want to we want to actually make a, little, a couple pennies so we're it's at least paying for itself. So please forgive us for being corporate whore sellouts. And in Ty's case, just a straight up whore. Yeah. Everybody has a price. And uh you, you know, <laughs> if we can make the ads entertaining, hopefully you won't want to skip them, you know? Yeah, don't skip. Don't skip. Yeah. Make sure you, you go. Don't skip them. That's why we're gonna do our best. We are. I'm doing my part. But oh yeah, I guess in all the the commotion, we totally forgot to ask Casey to pick his final song. So I went ahead and chose it for him, and I picked. He, we uh, mentioned his other band that he had back in the day before the Belvedere days, um, the Evidence, and I was like, this tune, a Christmas truce, off of their 2009 album Polarity. So yeah, that song you heard right before we started talking was from. The evidence. But yeah, uh, I don't know if there's anything else we've got to go over. I mean, at this point, the tie, when this album or this episode goes live, has watched the curse finale. So maybe we'll talk about it next episode. <laughs> yes, we should talk about it. Tie in late it. January has not watched yes, it. I, t- I told Joel, buddy, specifically, no spoilers. Don't tell me shit about that because I'm going to watch it right now when we hang up on this okay. call. So he can't, he can't wait to get me off this call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a typical Monday. Yeah, fuck it. Um, 
so yeah thanks for everyone for tuning in and we've been seeing the numbers definitely uh rising in the right direction so someone's listening and uh as always if you if you you're interested in anything that's going on with the label go to www.highenddenimrecords.com um we got a store on there we're uh looking at adding some cool shit here this year music wise and and other items um yeah other than that yeah make sure you're following us on all the socials make sure you're following all the bands you can and then yeah if you uh hear something you like hear something you didn't like give us a drop us a line denim radio podcast at gmail.com and spill your guts tell us how much you hate us tell us attention attention josh on the subject line (laughs) we both have access so if it's something hurtful we'll both feel the pain probably simultaneously i don't think anybody cares enough about us at this point (laughs) to try and hurt us but you never know that's the true barometer you want to hurt me you want to hurt me go ahead i'm an easy target i'm an easy target but i'm the real (laughs) article what you see is what you get what was that, John Candy? <laughs> Trains, of... planes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Fuck, that's you a good hurt one. Me? You want to hurt me? I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. He was the real article. Let's hear it for John Candy. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back next Friday. Who will we be talking to? Oh, boy. I don't even know. I literally don't know. Ooh. I'm not going to say anything. It's too soon. He's not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. Special episode coming up next episode. It's going to be cool. So, But I guess we should play one more song. And I think you wanted to hear the Good Riddance classic, Fire Engine Red. Yeah. Thanks again, everyone, for, for tuning in. And until next time, this has been Josh. And Ty. And this is Denim Radio. You talk funny. Where are you from? California. I hate California.
Hello, hello, hello. This jamming with Da Boys and you think house painting's hard, but it really ain't. Check out pretty and paint today. <laughs>